0: what's going on and we are back welcome into the pelicans podcast presented by sea on this monday i'm daniel a longtime my co-host jim and of pelicans.com we are back as we are just a week and a half away from the nba draft on july 29th as the pelicans will have the number 10 overall pick in the 2021 nba draft and we're going to take you one through nine with a media member broadcaster writer um, of teams one through nine as we get you ready uh, for next week's draft and joining us today is rod beard pistons beat writer for the Detroit News, Rod, I appreciate you being our first guest here on the Draft Preview Show. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this pick, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. I feel like you have the easiest job right now. as We, we kind of don't really do mock drafts, but I feel like uh, with the number one pick, it seems like this year it's pretty clear-cut. Is, is that the same for you as, as far as Cade Cunningham is concerned?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's fairly clear cut unless somebody just comes with a a grandfather and, and a bounty of a, uh, a trade package to make it just unbelievable that you have to trade that pick. What makes Cade Cunningham the most attractive pick for the Troy Pistons?
0: How does he fit in uh, with what Detroit has, which is, as we talked about before this taping, uh, this Pistons team has had a lot of turnover in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, they, they completely turned the roster over. There's only one player left from uh, the, the roster two years ago. And I think where Cade fits best is that he can play a lot of different positions for them. He, he's known as a point guard, but at 6'8", 225, he can move around and he can play some shooting guard. He can play small forward. He might be able to guard some power forwards in a smaller lineup. So I think that versatility and the ability to handle the ball uh, is something that Coach Dwayne Casey likes and, and that he can check those boxes for you.
0: Uh, before I go to Jim, uh, you talk about, you know, basically Godfather offers as far as trading number one pick. Has there been any sense that anyone has, has offered anything to Detroit for number one? Are they even listening to those just to maybe say, hey, you never know what kind of uh, deal someone's bringing to them? Or are they basically saying uh, we're going with Cade and, and that's final?
1: Well, I, I think the thing on lottery night was that uh, general manager Troy Weaver said that he would listen to offers and, and the trade is possible and they're still going to work out five guys. And I think there is some interest in a Jalen Green or a, a Mobley, but it's still about what package can you put together. And for me, if I were the GM, you'd have to give me the number two or number three pick. And that's the starting point of any discussion is that uh, if I like Green or if I like Mobley, those are the only two other guys that I'm trading out of that pick for or an established, maybe all-star fringe, all-star type player. I don't think very many teams are going to give that up for an unproven rookie. Uh, So that's where the discussion starts with me. And I don't think it's very... Uh, hot. uh, The the conversations and trade talk is very hot out there. So I think that's where it's just going to lead back to Cunningham is, is don't make this harder than it needs to be. The guy is right there for you. He's a franchise sort of guy, a a projected all-star don't mess this up and try to be too cute with it.
2: It's funny. I don't think it's exactly the same situation as what the Pelicans were in two years ago, based on, you know, weighing different options and that kind of thing. But if you go back to a couple of years ago, the Pelicans never really came out and said that they were drafting Zion Williamson officially. It wasn't something that was really announced until the moment that they were on stage. But somehow there were all kinds of Zion banners in New Orleans, I guess, that were created, you know, right the exact second that the pick was announced. So that was kind of funny. Um, you mentioned a second ago just the fit as far as Cade Cunningham, if, if he is the pick with the Pistons. Um, what, what does that mean for Killian Hayes? I mean, it's not often that a team – drafts a, a guy in the lottery at pr- pretty much the same position. I know you mentioned Cade Cunningham's versatility, but how, how are those two guys going to gonna play together and what what impact does that make?
1: Well, toward the end of the season last year, Cade Cunningham, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Killian Hayes played off the ball a little bit more, uh, and he looked more comfortable than he did as the, the main hand, ball handler and point guard. Uh, so I don't think he's just a point guard. I think he's a facilitator. And with Dwayne Casey's uh, history, he's done it in – uh, Toronto and he's done it with the Pistons as well is that he likes to have multiple ball handlers multiple point guards if you will on the court at the same time to try to go pick and roll on the weak side if the ball gets rotated around so I think it's just um, the fit is, is there and again they they don't have a strong starting two guard and I think Cade can just fit in there as the other guy and again that, that's where the conversation starts with Jalen Green too is that if you be that main facilitator and you, you want something different then that's where you can consider Jalen Green. But again, I think um, Cunningham shooting 40 plus percent from three uh, in college, I think that translates into the NBA as well. And again, that just seems to be the best fit for me.
2: Going back to really not that long ago, basically November of last year was when the 2020 draft happened. I remember Killian Hayes had a lot of supporters and a lot of people that um, projected him as maybe one of the best players in the draft. I think those same analysts are disappointed that he didn't get to play that. A lot last year because of injury obviously but when you look at when you look back at um you know november in terms of the pistons draft and who the guys they got in the first round what's your analysis of how they did it seemed like that was really one of the most more encouraging aspects of last season for the pistons
1: well it, it checked two boxes for me one with uh, troy weaver as the general manager um being able to evaluate talent and and people like isaiah stewart as Uh, A potential kind of guy who could come in and help out. But to make an all-rookie team, team, second-team all-rookie team, just shows you what Weaver can do. And then to trade in to get the number 19 pick and get Sadiq Debay, who was first-team all-rookie and also was on the select team for Team USA preparing for the Olympics. I mean, that, again, that shows you the level of talent and, and the evaluation that he had to find two guys at 16 and 19 who could come in and help your roster immediately. And to be two kind of shining stars that you want to build the rest of your, your roster around and your future around too.
2: It seemed like people were a little confused by what Detroit did at the beginning of the offseason. I know it was a super brief one for a lot of teams last year in terms of letting Bruce Brown go and letting Christian Wood go, but um Looking back at it now, I mean, overall, how do you think the Detroit fan base and the media look at the rebuilding project that they kind of started? You could kind of say last year was year one. What do you think people's assessment is of that and the optimism that people have about the the way that they're kind of building right now?
1: Well, I, I think there is supreme optimism because he was able to, to flip the whole roster over in one year. Stan Van Gundy had done the same thing here, and it took him two or three years to really get to the same point he had a roster that he was comfortable with and players that he felt he could develop. And uh, again, looking at the young guys that uh, Troy Weaver has brought in and Dwayne Casey's ability to develop players, you feel like there's a good synergy there and those guys really fit and understand what each other want and how it's going to uh, happen in the next couple of years. Casey signed an extension uh, to add another year to his contract. He's got three more years. So you can see where there's there's something now that there's a timeline that fits. Uh, these rookies are not going to have to go through another couple of coaches before they get to their third or fourth year so it really feels like the rebuild has some structure it has some definition and the fans have a a serious sense of where this can go in the next couple of years.
0: Ron before I let you go I apologize for asking such a personal question but this is a question that Dwayne Casey's been asking some of the prospects do you make your bed in the morning is that something how do you start your day just want to make sure that you're ready to go because I think that's important for Dwayne Casey and I hope Cade Cunningham is the guy that makes his bed in the morning.
1: Well, I, I am not a, a morning bed maker, uh, but I, I, get, I get the point that they're trying to make is that uh, it, it says how organized you are, how you plan out your day. And if you get one thing accomplished first thing in the morning, then it, it builds on the rest of your day. That's just not me. I, I, I feel like I'm going to get back in the bed at some point, uh, maybe in the afternoon, maybe in the evening, who knows. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not a an everyday morning bed maker. I, I'll make it on Saturday or Sunday, but during the week, generally, no.
0: I'm the same way, Jim. Are you a bed maker in the morning? I can
2: see you as one. <laughs> no, actually, I'm in the same boat as Rod. I think his answer was pretty much exactly what what I would say. But I, I enjoyed that tweet, especially the people arguing in the comments about whether you should or should not. So that was hilarious to read people's takes, and I was also um, entertained by the fact that people are so adamant about it. They there, I did not realize how strong strongly people feel about that topic, but. I learned that from the, uh, from the discussion underneath that tweet, so I thought that was really fun.
1: Well, even, even better was the people who were sending these mocks sort of, here's Kate Cunningham's bed, and it's all made up, or here's Jalen Green's bed, and it's all made up, so this is why you should pick them. It's <laughs> an interview question. People, people take it out of context, but, you know, Twitter's going to Twitter. Twitter's going to do what it does.
0: I'm glad that it only took a Dwayne Casey talking about it to make it a grand discussion on whether people make their bed or not. But it's definitely go. interesting to see what kind of questions are out there. Uh, It's definitely something that funny that you've mentioned just people on Twitter being on Twitter. That's Rod Beard, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit news. You can follow him on Twitter at D E T news, Again, a great follow for all your Detroit fans and just for NBA fans in general, Rod, I really appreciate the time enjoy the draft. Hopefully you're able to go uh, to the Barclays center and enjoy it. But if not um, best of luck uh, in Detroit for the for the draft.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you guys. It's been fun.
0: All right, great stuff again from Rod Beard as we will do this again leading up to next Thursday's draft on July 29th. Again, we'll have coverage for you on the radio side on ESPN New Orleans as part of our draft coverage. Of course, Jim will be a part of it somehow, whether it's in Brooklyn, whether it's in New Orleans, or whether it's from his beautiful chateau at an undisclosed location. But Jim, we haven't talked in a while. You know, you were on vacation. I added another human being to my family
2: uh, in the last couple of weeks here. How's the offseason treating you? It's been great. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way that it it was good to kind of get away for a while. And maybe even though it's, it never really completely escapes the back of your mind somewhere to not maybe focus on basketball and the Pelicans for a little bit was good. Um, congratulations on your, on your second youngster that you mentioned, that you brought into the world. That's very outstanding news. Um, I did not accomplish anything nearly that, that uh, important during the last couple of weeks, but, uh, Nonetheless, it it was a, it was a great break and I'm really um, looking forward to these next few weeks. I mean, it's, it's really kind of mind blowing when you think about what's going to happen in these next few weeks where you have major news on the coaching front at some point Um, the draft, obviously next Thursday, free agency starting right after that summer league is starting August 8th. I mean, we, the next month or so is going to be so packed with news and information. And I'm kind of looking forward to, as I'm sure a lot of people are of turning the page, which we've really already done as far as talking about next season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned it. and You know, we talk about our offseason, but with how the season ended in mid-May compared to mid-April for teams that don't make the playoffs, you lost a month right there, and by no way am I complaining, but everything has kind of shifted. I mean, you're talking about guys that potentially could be going right from the NBA Finals to the Olympics and then the season going back to starting at a normal time. I think the reports were October 19th for the first regular season game training camp beginning at the end of September. And so you're right. Draft's going to hit free and going to hit Summer league's going to hit. And then the schedule is going to come out too, not too long after that, where come September time is maybe you have a chance to catch your breath a little bit before training camp starts, but it's going to be crazy. And what's crazy is we're here on July 19th and the NBA finals is still going on. But Jim, you know, there's been a lot of debate as far as the teams left in the NBA finals whether it's good for basketball, good for TV ratings. We've gone through this before as far as how ridiculous people worry about TV ratings, but I don't know about you. I've really enjoyed these NBA finals from the, not only just the two teams, but the basketball that's being played. I mean, game five was phenomenal the other night.
2: It was, I mean, it was one of the better NBA finals games, I think of the last say 10 years or so. Um, As far as the postseason goes, I, I know we probably talked about this a little bit in June, back when there were a few more teams still playing, but I love the the unpredictability of this season. And I love the fact that we're seeing some new faces, some new star players that are um, at the beginning of their career that are really making a name for themselves, such as Devin Booker and Trey Young was able to get the Hawks to the Eastern conference finals. So it's, it's been, it's been great. And I think for people in new Orleans, I probably should only speak for myself, but I, I think, I feel pretty confident that a lot of fans in new Orleans, like the fact that there's some, Small market teams that have made the finals. Milwaukee is a pretty, a very small market, and um, some of the super teams have have, were knocked out earlier. Some of the teams that had players that masterminded a plan to get together and play together and you know go deep in the playoffs and make the finals and win a championship. Pretty much all of those plans were were uh, negated by the results of what happened in the postseason. So, I've I've been very. This is one of the most. Enjoyable playoffs to me that I've I've seen in a long time. It's it's been great, and uh, the games have been really good too. As far as maybe not always the quality of play, but the closeness of the games, I feel like we've had a lot of really good moments. Game seven, Milwaukee Brooklyn was was one of the cooler um, ends of games I've seen in a long time. For for that to go to overtime, you don't get too many game seven overtimes. So it's it's just been great across the board. And now we're interested to see how this thing will end up in the next couple of days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Could end tomorrow night um, here for the Phoenix Suns, but maybe they can force a Game Seven, to give us just a, an extra couple of days of basketball. But uh, good thing is the Olympics are right around the corner too, so there will be some basketball no matter what here in the next couple of weeks. Before I let you go, you know we're talking about the NBA drafts and kind of lining up our calendar here as we'll go one through five, and we'll also add the number eight pick on Friday with the Orlando Magic since they have two picks in the top ten. But You know, you've been posting mock drafts. You've been listening to a lot of player prospect interviews when you're trying to gauge these first 10 picks in the depth of it. We talk every year about how deep these drafts are or is it very top heavy or can you get some value at certain positions? What are you learning about these mock drafts and what you're seeing as far as what could be the Pelicans options At number 10. And we'll get to them next week before the draft starts. But kind of, what are you gauging as far as it doesn't seem like there's a consensus number 10 pick, but there's a wide variety of players that could be there for the Pelicans to draft their number 10?
2: Yeah, I think the one thing that has been somewhat clear from the beginning of this process is that generally speaking, NBA draft analysts are in agreement about the top five or six guys. The the order changes quite a bit in terms of You know, everyone has pretty much everyone has Kate Cunningham, number one, but two through five, the order kind of jumbles and gets mixed up a little bit. And then at six, you might see the same name pretty frequently. But after that, I think there's a big difference of opinion. So as you mentioned, there are a lot of different possibilities at number 10 in terms of the Pelicans picking, partly because there's just a just a wide range of opinions on, you know, who's the seventh best player, who's the 15th best player. We're never going to be able to do this, but I would love to be able to get behind the scenes and see how the various NBA teams that are picking, say in the top 20, how they have their big boards arranged in terms of after the top five or six, who do they think is the seventh best player? Because I think, I mean, we can only go by what draft analysts say. We don't have access to obviously NBA front offices, but I'm curious to know whether how much of a, how, how similar the difference of opinion is between you know, draft experts and, and the people that are actually going to be doing the picks. So it's very difficult to project, I think, what the Pelicans are going to be able to what the Pelicans will do at 10, partly because you don't know who's going to be available. You don't know which for sure which guys are going to going to be picked in that in the top nine. But maybe we'll figure that out a little bit more as we talk to the uh, the eight teams that are comprising the nine picks that go right before the Pelicans on the board.
0: And I think what's interesting about the NBA draft compared to the NFL draft is most likely when you go through NFL mock drafts is you're basing these picks on positions of need. Again, it's easy in the NFL to identify this team needs a, an offensive, you know, lineman, this team needs a tight end, this team needs a quarterback. But in the NBA, I feel like now it's changing from positional needs to skill set needs. And that's something even the Pelicans will be looking at later down the road is shooting. Is that the number 1 objective here to fill not only a number 10, but with those second round picks, do you trade it away? But I feel like in the NBA, it's turned to not a, oh, this guy's available. We need a point guard. We're going to get him. It's no, this guy's best available. He fits the skill set we need. And that's who we're going to draft. I think that's going to be very interesting uh, come this year's draft.
2: I mean, there's no doubt that, especially even when you look at the second round of the draft where the Pelicans have four picks this year, you see so many um, mock drafts where they talk about shooting, not just for the Pelicans, but for everyone. I think you're, you're going to see maybe one of the trends is going to be more of the second round picks will be that guy who doesn't necessarily have like a, a full, well-rounded game, but is a knockdown shooter. The teams are going to start spending more of those picks on those guys, because as we've all seen and discussed at length, the importance of the three-point shot just continues to climb and teams continue to take more and more. But in terms of what you said, the, the common popular phrase is becoming positionless basketball. And I think opposed to 10, 15 years ago, when teams kind of tried to slot in a a prototypical guy at every position and stick with kind of uh, a lineup that had all five positions filled. You see so many more lineups now with three guards on the court and no centers. And there's so many different combinations that I think that's a big factor why teams aren't just looking at it like, okay, we have this specific positional slot that we need to fit this specific guy into it's so much more fluid now where teams have a lot more flexibility. I mean, I think we saw the Pelicans at times have this past season, have three point guards on the court at the same time, which was pretty much unheard of, but you're seeing that a lot more now than you are seeing. You're, you're rarely ever seeing like three bigs on the court. That don't, that probably almost never happens in the entire NBA. I know people made a big deal about the Nuggets having a starting lineup that had like three or four guys that were six ten or over, but that's, that's a thing of the past. I, I feel like we're never going to see that again, the way that the league is trending right now, where it's all about shooting. Like you said, skill and versatility of being able to cover a lot of different positions and quickness I think is never also never been as important as it is now, especially at the defensive end. Should be an interesting NBA draft. That's for sure. And we're going to be the place
0: to go as the Pelicans are Pelicans have the number 10 overall pick. And like Jim mentioned, we'll go one through nine. That means tomorrow we'll check in with the Houston Rockets and what they could do in number two, basing on the consensus pick of number one with Kate Cunningham. Houston's pretty much the first team on the clock as far as how they'll set the tone and how the Dominoes will fall after their pick. And then we'll check in with the Cleveland Cavaliers on Wednesday. The Toronto Raptors, who are normally not in this position, we'll check in with them on Thursday. And then the Orlando Magic, as we mentioned, they have number five and number eight. So we'll get those two picks. And again, it's not really a mock draft, but maybe what these teams can do with those picks leading up to the Pelicans at number 10. So glad to have Jim back. Glad to have you back here as our podcast will continue here for the next couple of weeks, probably even after with free agency. And we're glad you're making us a part of your day. You can access the show on iTunes, of course, also on Pelicans.com and the Pelicans mobile app. Until tomorrow, for Jim, big thanks to Rod Beard of the Detroit News. I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CQ.